We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 555 of the Board Slotter Podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dave Hilton. He's Domagoy Kostainchuk. And I feel like we were a little spoiled this week, Domagoy, without having a midweek game. I finally got a little bit of rest. Okay, I still sound terrible. I know. This terrible cough won't go away, but I did get a bit of rest, and I feel better if that matters. But then again, we only got this free midweek because Barca choked in the Copa del Rey against Athletic Club. And so we should probably be playing this week. So not really a silver lining the way I think we'd want it to be. I know. I mean, we'll, we'll take it though. I think the at this point in the season, when you can t- get some time off to rest players to just recuperate, you know, have a little think, we'll just take it because yes, I mean, the circumstances are not really great. The season is not really going that well, but you know what? We'll just take it as we go and and see what happens next. Again, I want to remind everyone: Barcelona finished the game against Alaves with twelve healthy first team players, and that was just because. They just registered for Amin Lopez, and that made it 12. So at the moment, with Ter Stegen likely coming back, Rafinha apparently training as well. Cancelo looks like he could also continue to be back. So it looks like the Cavalry might be coming soon. At least, again, Ter Stegen likely will start against Granada. So I do almost immediately, again, this is no disrespect to Naki Pena, but I do kind of expect that back line to get a little bit better, especially when dealing with set pieces and especially when dealing with those long ball counters that they're dealing with. I do think that Ter Stegen... It's just going to elevate that back line a bit more than Inaki Pena did. But the other actual real silver lining, though, Domagoy, you and I got a few days to think about was the big picture stuff from the Alaves match, which I think starts and ends with Andres Christensen as the defensive midfielder. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think with young players, we are definitely going to talk about Gabarsi right now, uh, Lamini Mall, and probably Hector Ford today. I think with young players, we wind up being prisoners of the moment, you know, where it's hard to say, okay, this is what we have in a 16 or 17 year old. And mm-hmm. you almost want to say, because you want to protect them, you project out two, three years. But I think with the Christensen move that we're starting to talk about here, it's actually just about the rest of Xavi's time in charge. That's mm-hmm. I think the only time period that you'd say that this Christensen experiment really does affect. So they want to try to do something in the Champions League. You have to finish top four in the Liga. And this experiment with Christensen is about those objectives and those objectives alone and nothing beyond this season. And you know, from the thought experiments that we have to go through, and especially with the big picture stuff and Barca's finance and all that stuff, it's actually nice to only have to think about 
what a tactical move means for the next three or four months. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right, actually. And, you know, all things considered, I could have, I quite liked his performance. You know, I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, having now watched it a bit more closely, I mean, I feel like he's done things quite well. Of course, he didn't exactly move any mountains. I mean, uh, but he wasn't really supposed to do that either. And that right there matters as well, because people look at the performance, and they're like, oh, you know, he was so low volume, he wasn't really doing much. But that was a, the whole point of the, whole, the experiment. You know, when you analyze that performance, it's very, it's very important to emphasize that his role was just to keep it simple, right? His role was to recycle play, his role was to be the enabler, to be the shield, if you will. And you know, nothing more, nothing less. And he did that quite well. And that's okay. I mean, is the role that Romeo was meant to do. I mean, exactly that role. And that's why I kept saying Rome Romeo the profile still fits because he was meant to do the simple things. He was meant to do the the little things. Um, and then so you know, unfortunately he fell off individually, but also the structure kind of didn't favor him that much. And this this system, that role fits Christensen as well, I feel like. So that's why he can be used in that in that role. But I would say that even with this one game cameo, I think that Christensen might have might have, might have made Romeo redundant already, I feel like. If he if he can keep this up, that is. I mean, he's younger, he's faster, he's a better Highland defender as well. He's a better passer, better carrier of the ball. And plus, he has the experience as well. This is what, I, what what surprised me the most because when I was doing research for 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 this experiment, I found out that he 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 already has about one thousand or so minutes as a midfielder uh, throughout his career, which is not a big number for a career role, but you know, it still it still counts. It's still something. Of course, we have to see more before making any sort of final conclusions and big big statements. But this was quite promising to me. And, and as you said, for the rest of the season, it could be something that Xavi can look to and maybe use as a, as a boost, right? It wasn't without flaws, to be, to, be, to be honest with you. I mean, at this stage, I think he can only be, well, exclusively a double pivot midfielder, right? I don't think he has it in him at, at this stage to be someone who can marshal the whole midfield for Barcelona. I don't think that happens right now. Unless, unless Xavi decides to pull uh, in a bigger experiment and play him in a, in a John Stones role, because I think that's what would suit him even more. He struggles in tight spaces, obviously. He struggles when, when, he, when he's pressed from all sides. And that's when he starts making those extra little touches and he fumbles play and he's not quick to react. And I think that matters for a single pivot. But if you put him away from that scenario, if you put him away from, from the from the pressure and from the tight spaces, I think he can, he can work quite well. And there are quite, there are a couple of ways to, to actually do that. I've done a whole piece actually on, on, on exactly that, how to maximize Christensen as a, as a pivot. And the main point would be to just move him away from the tight spaces have him face the play forward and then he can do what he does well which is break lines and, and be the progressive uh, player that he is and when you sustain pressure in the final third for example you also have him on the outside of the of the defensive block of the opposition's defensive block that way again he's not in the thick of it he's not in the middle of the things and he can kind of orchestrate or create from outside going in so i think in that sense, you have a player there who can do something different because Romeo cannot do that, but Kristen could do it. So it remains to be seen if Xavi gives this experiment more continuity, but I think he should at this stage. Yeah, I think this it's a, it feels unfair to Romeo, but it's not. Or Romeo, mm. even though he's a stopgap, was not supposed to be the long-term pivot option. He was signed to be, not even in case of emergency, but he was supposed to help be the defensive midfielder this season at a certain level and allow Barcelona and Xavi to play for midfielders and play in that formation that Xavi 
feels like you get the best out of Pedri and De Jong and Gundogan. And that was the whole point of signing Romeo. So I do think that coming in even, the ceiling for Romeo as a defensive midfielder, he was supposed to be a ball winner. He was supposed to be somebody mm-hmm. that could deliver these long diagonals on the counter and get Barcelona moving. And I think yeah. what he was supposed to do was the job, not even of Busquets, but of a uh, some version, right? A C-level version of what Busquets was asked to do last season and without comparison. But Christensen, we almost lowered the bar on him because he is a center back playing defensive midfield and the expectations for him are a bit different because to your point, he is a much, much better, obviously a much, much better ball winner than Oro Romeo. Oro Romeo, in fact, to me at Girona last season and the stats proved it, he was an adequate to almost above average defensive midfield destroyer type or ball winner. I'm going to say that instead of destroyer. But Christensen is just, he's better at that. And, and Omar Romeo has not lived up to that expectation as a ball winner. And then you think about, as you mentioned about those tight spaces, right? What does Christensen not do? What Christensen doesn't do in terms of delivering those long diagonals that you'd expect pivot in Barcelona system to do. And he also doesn't, as you said, he does not turn quickly and make a good decision on the ground in tight spaces. He just doesn't do that. He doesn't have technical ability to do that. He's a center back paying as a defensive midfielder. But for the remainder of this season, at least, also to your point, he raises the ceiling in a way that Romeo does not, or any other player you'd play in that position, of the other three midfielders in Xavi's system. It allows Barcelona to fundamentally play the way Xavi wants them to play, with Pedri and Gundogan operating more as high interiors, and De Jong having a bit more of a free role, and being asked to do less ball winning himself. And that is what Xavi, that is how the setup with Xavi works. And and, and to the point, too, about, we're going to get to Jao Felix later, but Lamine Mall, who we're also going to talk about later, is the only player right now for Barcelona who can take anybody on on the wing. I, that sounds like hyperbole, but it's not. He's the one guy that can win 1v1s, and he's the one guy in Barcelona that can attract a second defender without fail and not lose the ball at a high percentage. Lamine Mall, numerically, is Barcelona's only winger. And then up top, you have Vita Roque and Lewandowski and even Mark Bue. You do have three options at your almost center forward position to knock in some goals. And and again, Vita Roque and Mark Bue in limited time have been very promising with their goals per minute. And then we, I, we're actually not talking about Lewandowski today. But everybody knows how that's going. So that means on that left wing, based on the system that you're playing with and the options that you have, it is almost a waste to play or attempt to play even Cancelo on the left wing or another left winger. Just play Pedri on the left wing or Gundogan higher up underneath Lewandowski and fading out to that left and have De Jong also on the, you know, the left of that double pivot and defending like hell. And you kind of keep your shape because Barcelona in transition have been an abomination. I said, I think it's going to get better with Ter Stegen. So I actually tend to be really optimistic about how this Christensen move doesn't, again, it does not move Barcelona closer to the Champions League title. It does not raise their ceiling. But I do feel like because of the way he enhances De Jong's responsibilities, and he negates what Pedri and Gundogan have to do in trying to ball win themselves, and they're allowed to just be who they are. I mean, Gundogan play, probably played his best game of the season against Alaves numerically because he didn't have to worry about doing what is unnatural to him. And I do think that Christensen, again, instead of raising Barcelona's ceiling, at least for this season, <laughs> with the goal that Barcelona Xavi has, he raised the floor to a really adequate amount where I say, yeah, I don't think this should be just a one-off thing against Alaves. I think Xavi should commit to this. And I know it's three weeks, what, 21st. So that's, what, two weeks away for Napoli. But yeah, for the next two weeks, every day in training, 
Again, there's now no midweek games, and you've got Granada, which is a great side looking at the league table to experiment against. So take this time against Granada. Take your time against Celta de Vigo and iron out these issues or whatever issues there are and try to get, again, the floor of this as high as you possibly can to basically survive La Liga and try to survive this high against Napoli and get some positive results. And so that's why I think I'm, again, I'm not optimistic. I think I'm saying like, I, I feel like I've, I've got good vibes of what Christensen presents as a defensive midfielder, at least for the next few months, because of how he enhances everyone else more than I'm really excited about Christensen as Barcelona's defensive midfielder of the future. I just, I don't think it's sustainable in the long term. I, I don't think he's a long-term option, but I think he allows Xavi to do, I mean, to get the best out of De Jong, Gundogan, and Pedri based on the personnel he has right now. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase, 
Go to shopify.com slash tvpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tvpod. Yes, I would agree with that. I don't I don't think he's a long-term option either. I mean, for the rest of the season, absolutely, yes, he can do that. But that's mostly because Barca don't have anyone else to do it anyway. I mean, it's either Christensen or, or, or Romeo, right? Or you, you do something with Pedri and De Jong or Gundogan and De Jong. But that's also not optimal because, you know, there's, there's a number... He just turned 32 yeah. and he's, he's out injured. So, you know. Well, well, yeah, I know. So there you go. Yeah, I think Christensen just kind of forces himself into that lineup. And that's a good thing because Barca lack athletes, right? They're also, they're a, they have a leaky structure. Everyone knows this. We're not really compact. We don't really defend as a unit anymore or have never done that under Xavi. Even, even, even I would go as far as to say that. But Christensen as an athlete, just as a pure defender, he kind of, mask some of those flaws, right? He can kind of patch up those flaws because we saw against Alaves, there were situations where he was left on an island and he could make up that ground. Sometimes, sometimes not because there was, the holes were just too big even for him to cover, but sometimes he would make it through his, you know, just through his physicality alone. And I think Romeo, he would not be able to do even, even you know, not even close to, to what Christensen can do that. Well, so I, Honestly, actually, looking back at my Alaves notes, I not only mm. agree with that point, but I want to extrapolate that what if even farther in that his mistakes, Christensen's mistakes, and that pace of play for him, there were mistakes mm-hmm. in the first 10 minutes. And he yeah, the, touch, the, fir- the first touch, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I think and he ironed those out, but Alaves did not mm-hmm. score in the first 10 minutes. And I think, again, mm-hmm. no disrespect to Romeo here, but I think if Romeo was starting that game, I think Barcelona concede in those first 10 minutes before yeah. he kind of finds his rhythm in the game. Fortunately, Barcelona didn't concede. And Christensen, I thought minute 10 on was much better than the first 10 minutes. Oh, he was absolutely, but yeah, yeah. he grew into the game. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, he's from before, he's not someone who can turn into space. He's not that agile. He's his turning radius is quite limited, right? But then again, I saw quite a few games where he, he played as a pivot. And okay, granted, those were mostly international games, right? So there's more space, there's more time to turn on the ball. But when there is space and time, he can do that. He can do this one touch turn, the half turn, he can go into space. But I think in this particular game, so it was, this was his first game as a pivot for Barca. And I think it was more kind of wanting to play it safe than you know not being able to do it he, he could do it but it's risky because you know he has a marker on his back he doesn't have that much space but he doesn't want to risk it but I, th- I feel like just the physical aspect of his so he is the athletic aspect is kind of the upside here when you look how he's built he's much better built than romeo he has these powerful legs he's his upper body is also quite developed so he's more of a swimmer he's not really a you know a footballer even I, I, when, when you see his pictures and I, I never really took much note of that before but when you a- actually analyze his how his structure how he's how he's built he's a really really good athlete right so i think those long legs you, you can see him ta- he can kind of tackle from behind he can wrap around the 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 the, the markers and, and do a tackle like that he can he can make up ground really quickly and he's very very fast from a standstill position which is what surprised me you know he has a good top speed and he has good acceleration from a stand standpoint position standpoint position even over short distances and then he has a little gap in between where he's slower to accelerate but once he reaches top speed he's quite fast and you know so i think there's a highlight defender in there somewhere, which is good for Barca. And that's someone who can kind of make up for those structural issues a little bit. Not completely, obviously, but he can do stuff that can mitigate damage at least. And and that's a good thing for me. Yeah, and it is in the long run, as you said too, that the mm-hmm. times when he's played defensive midfield, 
with Denmark and then dating back to his Bruce Lynch and Gladback days, which is quite a few years ago now, uh, almost yeah. seven, eight years ago. I mean, he was almost a, basically a teenager when he was doing that. And he played a little bit at youth level as well uh, back in Denmark. I said, it's in him, he's done it before, but what was, when we talk about ceilings and floors again, like what was the highest level that he played as a defensive midfielder and what was the best teams mm-hmm. he played against? He never had to do it where all the, all, all the eyes of the world were on you the way the Barcelona matches are mm-hmm. uh, when, he was, when he was doing such a thing. And, you know, pivoting a little bit here, because, yes, there are pros and cons of the Christensen thing. But what allows this Christensen experiment to happen at all is that Pau Gubarsi was already ready. And I said that this kid, a year ago, I have my receipts. Everybody knows that. I said that he was the best center back prospect that I'd ever seen in La Masia at 15. I said that last year. And yet, he is ahead of schedule in where I thought I'd see him in the first team. Because I always say in those La Masia updates that people always ask for, now... I used to do them every six months, and I'd be like, oh, do I have enough for every six months? Now I feel like someone I could do them every week, and there's like a new kid I'm talking about. And then he now he's already in the first team. I don't even have time to like update you to the first team. Um, but in the first half of the season, he got named to a bunch of the bench, well, two or three times in, in what was it, uh, August to October. And then mm-hmm. a few weeks of just being on the bench, getting called to the first team. And, you know, you're just waiting for him to at least make the debut. And I figure mm-hmm. just like Mark Costado right now, who we can throw in here uh, at the end of this conversation, but I just figured that, uh, or uh, I just figured that Casado was on the bench because, as you know, as a break glass case of emergency, and he's available. I'm saying with Kabarsi, but no, Kabarsi, Xavi was just incorporating in the first team, putting him on the bench because he was going to trust him because he already trusted what he saw in training. And so now I come out of Alavés saying, do you know who our best defender was in that match up in the Basque Country in hostile territory? It wasn't Araujo or Kunde. It was a 17 year old kid. And the question with him in the first team. As long as he can hold his own defensively, center backs do lose out on duel sometimes. And I think as a young player, those mistakes are going to be chalked up to inexperience and, and we're going to have more eyes on those. But looking at his games in the Liga this season, okay, so not the two Copa del Reyes, but just the Liga, he handled Willan Jose against Real Betis. I actually thought he did fine against Moreno and Sorloff for Villarreal until that game got completely out of hand for everybody. And remember, he was also subbed on at halftime for Christensen because Christensen wasn't any better in the first 45 minutes. And then it was a team breakdown late. And that was more, it was a team thing more than it was individual mistakes by Kabarsi that I look at. And both he and Araujo were getting screened at also for not pressuring Sorloth higher than when he received it. So again, if you're going to criticize Kabarsi late in that game, then Araujo, somehow you're going to criticize even more. Then Osasuna, he definitely handled Budimir and those late runs by Oros, the attacking midfielder. And Osasuna just play a little bit of a different system than a lot of teams in the Liga, but that didn't seem to trouble Kabarsi. And then against Alavez, I thought he did a fine job against Samu because of a reminder, Samu's goal was against Araujo on that cross that Young allowed. Kabarsi had nothing to do with the one goal that Alavez scored. Here's his Liga stats this season. 60.2 passing passes per game, 91% accuracy, 1.5 tackles per game, 1.8 clearances per game. He's been dribbled past zero times, and he's committed zero fouls. Beyond the stats, too, and now just talking about the attacking part, because again, that's a lot of that's even the defensive stuff, where all he has to be is average, because the upside he already provides with the ball at his feet is so useful to Xavi, especially a team that needs to be press resistant, the way that this Barca team is not and needs to be if you're going to have that much possession. He's playing progressive line-breaking passes as a right-footed player from the wide left channel. That requires skill bravery and yet he does it consistently already and that is just it's absurd to me Dil McCoy 
it, it is it's center back is one of those positions that I have to trust people who play center back because I, I that was a position. I mean, look, take one look at me. Clearly, center back was not the thing that I did, but he is so special on the wall. And you know, and again, this whole Christmas conversation happens because Kunde and Araujo was not the we have to have this center back pairing. Kunde is still playing right back, and that's forcing Hector Ford over to the left side and Kinsella wherever he needs to be. But Kunde is still playing right back, and you have Araujo obviously in the middle there having his worst season in a Barcelona uniform consistently. And Kubarsi allows all of that to work because of just how ready he has been. There is almost an argument to be made. Maybe I'm just, maybe I've revved myself up so you can just kind of bring me back home here. There is an argument to be made that Kubarsi systemically has been, I'm not going to say more than, because that would be hearsay, but has been just as essential to what Xavi is trying to do in the second half of this season as Lamine Yamal is going to be. That Kubarsi and Lamini Mall for the way that Xavi wants to play are just as important as one another. That I mean, that is just how important I think Kubarsi has been. That's true. And and I think it also kind of ties to Christensen again, because he is the progressive um, you know, ball play center back as well. But I feel like this season in particular, he has kind of I don't know, dropped off a little bit in, in terms of his passing. Maybe maybe the stats would prove me wrong, but that the eye test would say that I think that he is not as I don't know, maybe not just adventurous or maybe not as 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 accurate as he used to be or as he can be. And I feel like, yes, to your point, in comes Kubarsi, you know, this this kid from La Masia, and suddenly he fits the bill perfectly and he does all these things that he's required to do and even more. And of course, he can be an extremely va- um, valuable talent if developed properly, which I think, you know, he's heading that way as of right now. And I think that much is pretty clear to pretty much everyone at, at this point. Um, and yes, we can gush over his line-breaking passes, you know, from the back line all day, all night. And, and uh, they are truly something, you know, because as you said, they, they take skill and they take courage and they, they take, usually they take experience as well, because, you know, in those in those situations, uh, especially if, you're, if your system is not, if your structure is not really that optimal, it's difficult to find those passes, right? But nowadays we can expect this from you know, and 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 you know, take this from from granted even when it comes to La Masia talents. So, but so I feel like the athletic side of his profile, so the the defensive side is kind of the even more exciting thing to be honest with you. I mean, sure, he has shown his age here and there, and that's fair. But mostly, he's done extremely well when called upon, and that's that's big for a, such a young player. I think he's. Five foot eleven or something like that. I'm not sure. Five foot eleven, I would say, uh, which is a decent height. But at the same time, he gives this impression that he's even, even much bigger and much more powerful because he imposes himself correctly on the match. Right? He is relatively short for a center back. I would say, if I can say that, I, th- I think so. But the ge- so the genes don't really favor him that much. But you know, he makes it work nonetheless. That's, that's the exciting thing for me. You know, it's it, it's, com- it's a combination of talent and hard work, which is, you know, which is very impressive. So there's a natural gift in, in, in all of that, in that conversation, but there's also that good old-fashioned grit as well. Um, so he can go really far, I would say. And I would even say that he has the potential to play this hybrid role of a defender and a, and a midfielder as well. If, if Xavi or whoever comes next decides to be that bold one day, you know, he can, he can grow into something that's even more than a centre-back. But, you know, at, looking at it right now, he definitely fits the bill because he provides you with the progression and he provides you with the uh, defensive side as well, which is something Barca lack. They don't really have a complete defender on the team as of right now. So Araujo is one on one spectrum and then Kunde is on the other, for example. And Christensen would be somewhere in the middle because he's the best of both worlds. But at the same time, he's been shaking in, in his progressiveness and his distribution from the back, at least 
um, what I would say from the eye test for now. And Kubarsi is kind of, you know, he's the best of both worlds and he can develop even further. I think that's that's a player to keep as a player who's, who can be very, very valuable in the future. Well, yeah, I mean, that that combination, that setup, you know, I saw yesterday there was this uh, the, the story going around that uh, Araujo and Pau Kubarsi are Barcelona's center back pairing oh, in the yeah. future. And obviously you read that, I'm just like, well, that's not a story, like no duh, like obviously. But there's obviously merit to that combination too, because it, that, that's what works. And even for Barcelona going back, Kubarsi, to your point, he's a little bit like this much taller than Puyol. And he's like mm. this much taller than Mascherano who played next to PK, or and there were times when Yaya Torre would play next to Puyol as well. And so there is precedent between that that defender that is smaller, but very much like Mascherano and Puyol, to your point, his positioning, because I think right now the inexperience you see, he'll get caught on the wrong side. And this happened with Samu twice. He got caught on the wrong side, but he's so intelligent with his body positioning already. He does know how to get himself out of trouble without fouling which is something that is way beyond inexperience for his years. And you go back to it, and that was something that Mascherano and Puyol did so, so well, that even if, and Mascherano more than Puyol even, Puyol was just so sturdy and strong that very rarely did he get caught goal side. But Mascherano would get caught goal side sometimes, and then he would have to then orient his body to then get, you know, not commit the foul and get, the, and get some part of the ball to poke that thing loose. And we see a similar thing with Kubarsi, that even if, he gets out muscled with the upper half, or he, you know, can't use his, to your point, like his height, and he gets and he gets on the wrong side. I think that'll get better and improve over time defensively with reps, of course. But I also think the instincts to not foul already are are really high, and, and that again to me is why he's such a high level prospect, even though he's the same height or just a little taller than Eric Garcia and Puyol and, and Mascherano, and and that really is like I can't believe I said Eric Garcia and Puyol in the same sentence talking defending. Here we are. That's what we're doing here. Um, but as in the last note on Kabarsi is that, you know, this week, I, I'm thinking that his agent did let it leak that his release clause is 10 million because even though he just signed his pro contract at 16 years old, you know, a year ago, the renewal is now starting at a higher number already for that new senior contract, I believe when he turns 18 because of his performance of the first team. And again, as negative as that is and as scary as that is, you know, because, you know, Barcelona fans have seen Lamassia Talents head for greener pastures when they ask for more money. But with his talent, the silver lining is that if he wants to be at Barcelona, as we just saw with Gabi's contract renewal, renewing a Lamassia kid who popped off and is usually still cheaper than bringing somebody else in. It's usually the case that Barcelona is going to save money over the next, whatever, six, seven years by renewing Kubarsi, even at a higher number at 18 than they would by bringing in a, another 23 or 24 year old stopgap on the wage bill, because even Gavi, I think, I know they're trying to renew his contract, but I, I believe the new upgrade is like 6.5 mil per season. When if they brought in a talent like Gavi, that player makes 10 to 12 to 13, you know, and, and Gavi, because of his age and because he's been with Barcelona, he renewed at a number that fits the wage structure. And if Gavari, if Gavarsi wants to stay, that's the number he basically, he, he stays at. And because goal scorers, you always have to pay for goals. Center backs, Barcelona can kind of set the, what would you call that? They kind of they kind of set it, even though it's a higher number, they still kind of can set the precedent because, you know, the agent isn't arguing about goals. So unless the agent asks for something utterly outrageous, like with, you know, Smariba, and we've seen other talents before, then yeah, Kovarsi might be gone, but I, I don't think he's going anywhere. So I'm not too worried about that. Now, maybe we'll just spend one second here on Mark Costado. 
I have been warning people now for about a year and a half that I just didn't see him as a first team regular. And I know people are kind of waiting for him to get the opportunity. But as I've said a, a bunch of times, I just, I think he is stuck somewhere between a, a pivot and interior somewhere at the at, in first division level. And honestly, he reminds me of Manchu, the player who moved to Real Valladolid. I, I think that is about the player, he, which is not a bad thing. I mean, he's a first team regular at Real Valladolid. He's a starter. And I think he's a first division player. And I think that's about where Mark Costado is. Maybe he's a little bit better than Manchu. So instead of Real Valladolid, maybe for Costado, we can be talking about a, a, a top half team, you know, whoever that may be. I don't want to say Sevilla because they're not a top half team, but whoever it is, like Real Betis or whatever. I think that might be more his level. And I do think with the way that Xavi has shown you his trust in young talent, and I also have been saying the players that he keeps calling up to training are the ones that I agree that are probably the ones with the highest ceilings when I watch them at youth level. And Xavi's kind of agreeing with me on that. And so I think the fact that I seem to be <laughs> agreeing with Xavi now for the last two years, I think that that kind of does almost, you know, give me some vindication that I think Costado is who I think he is, which again is not a bad thing. I think it's a first team professional who can help Barcelona on the margins, but Barcelona already has a captain, Sergio Roberto, to help him on the margins. Mm. And so if Costado stuck around for next season, maybe he gets the minutes that Sergio Roberto had this year if Barcelona don't bring in Alex Garcia or somebody else. Because I think that is where Costado might get a few minutes here or there. But again, that's Roberto right now. And he's, what is he, 12 years older and, you know, kind of been there, done that. Yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan of Casado. I mean, I, I've been for a while now, and I've been saying, okay, he needs a shot. He needs to play more. He needs to, he needs the chance to prove himself. But yeah, I would kind of agree with you because he's kind of transitioning into a, this more of a hybrid type of player, and a lot of it has to do with his physique. I think he's uh, one of those diminutive uh, midfielders that kind of you know work better as a as an interior perhaps than a pivot necessarily but you know it doesn't have to be that way i mean gavi is someone who's also kind of he's small but he 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 kind of makes up for it through through you know other things as well he's a he's a more aggressive player i think casaro can be be that as well you know in that mold of a player potentially but he has the 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 the, the talent he has the the ability to kind of play the role he understands the role um uh, it's i just think it's the physique that kind of pulls him down at the moment, um, especially compared to someone like Nico, for example. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Nico is also a hybrid of sorts, right? Um, and 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 Casaro is as well. So it'll be interesting to see which one of those two players would be a better benchmark for a Barca pivot. I feel like a combination of them two would be <laughs> would be best, but, you know, unfortunately, the, the, there's not no, no such player at the moment. But if he does get a, a chance in the first team, it could be, as you said, you know, it could be someone like, it could be an interior role where, where he gets to be higher up the pitch and he gets to use his on-the-ball ability a bit more while not being forced into, into these physical encounters, into these athletic duels as much. And I think that's what bogs him down and, and kind of pulls him down the pecking order as well. But otherwise, I mean, I'm a big fan of the player and and and, and I've always been and I've, I've done threads on him and pieces on him and I've said that he needs a chance. But at the moment, especially when you have Christensen as well and you have, well, a new pivot who's probably going to be signed. Well, probably. We keep seeing that those reports, but if, if, if someone, yeah. They have, they have eight euros. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right? I know, right? But if someone is signed, which you know that that that's all people talk about, and that's 
but the club was also talking about well not the club the club but the reports would be that the club is looking for someone so if they do find someone if you have Christensen if you have well Romeo won't be here for long I don't feel like but I just don't think someone like Casado will be there not not at least not as a one of the first two choices so I think I mean I also think that I honestly I also think on like the the ceiling we talk about ceilings Everything, mm-hmm. every time I watch Mark Bernal, I, I just think Mark Bernal by the summertime is going to have moved ahead for on for on Costello on the depth chart already. Like any mm-hmm. minutes now you give an inexperienced, we'll say that interior pivot, right? Like that basically the, the guy that's stuck between Frankie de Young and 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 Romeo, you know, as a profile. I think yeah. you give all those minutes next season or even in the preseason to Mark Bernal because I think his ceiling is just so much higher physically. He's already has the body already. Uh, yeah. He's just 16, so he's three years, four years younger than Casado. So it's, I think, it, the, the ceiling and the potential is all there for Bernal. I think Casado has already kind of fallen behind in, in Barcelona's like future as soon as next season. Again, that's how I think Bernal, as I've said, of what I've seen this season with Barca Athletic and in the UEFA Youth League was still very much, again, a 16-year-old in a really, maybe the most difficult position in all of world football right now to play that defensive midfielder pivot. Uh, so it's uh, the learning curve for that position and for him, it's been, you know, exponential this year and it might be the same thing next year. So he might not, he might not be ready next year, but, and I think for Costado, the reason why he keeps getting called up for the first team is not to come in as a pivot, but to spell the young in case of emergency. And the thing about the way the Xavi has to sub with these patterns is that unless the young gets hurt, he's going to play 90 every time. So I, that's why I think you're not seeing Costado because again, I don't think we, and we've seen this for the first team. Costado is not coming in as a lone pivot. He's coming in as a double pivot and playing in that, we'll say, dribbling or drive the ball forward role that De Young occupies. So Costado is the Young sub, not a future pivot with Barcelona or anything like that. And so because De Young plays 90 minutes every match, because you know you're already looking at it that Lewandowski's 35 and and Xavi has Vita Roque and Mark Dew, and the only ones that seem to be healthy are these young number nines. So you have you have those young players to put in up top. You'd love to rotate Lamini Mall if you possibly could. Cancelo constantly gets hurt, or someone else constantly gets hurt. Every every match, they've lost a player. Ferran Torres, Balde. Xavi makes at least one injury substitution in the first half of a match. And, and then you have, uh, what was the other player? Yeah, I mean, and then you have Pedri, of course, who needs to come out of every match in the 60th minute. And then I would even prioritize, like in the match against Alaves, taking Gundogan out and giving a 32-year-old some rest more than I do to Young. So that means De Young is playing 90 minutes and he's one of the last players to be subbed in any game. So that means Casado is just not seeing the field. And unless De Young goes down again, I think maybe there's an opportunity for Casado just because of how Orovumeo has completely fallen off the face of the earth. But now to what we talked about before, though, with Christensen potentially now being a pivot and able to play the pivot position, I, I just don't know how you see Casado. Now, speaking of, it's that special time that Domagoy comes on and I get to poke and ask him about Jeff Alex that we're not really about Jeff Alex. This is actually more about the Jorge Mendes and Kinsella and all that stuff. Because talking about Hector Fort here, he is right-footed. He is a right-back or a right-center back, not a left-back. And yet, he's playing at left-back for the first team. And it's almost unfair to him that he's coming up in the same time as Lamine Mon Kubarsi. Because Hector Fort is like, those two are A-plus prospects. And Fort is still like a B-plus prospect. Or I would even argue an A minus prospect as a wing back in in like in world football. Oh, how many academies in world football would love to be able to pluck Hector Fort and say, "Hey, we've got our right back of the future right here. 
we just signed him, right? Like that's how high of a prospect as an outside wingback he is in the youth ranks in world football. And, you know, the fact that he is being asked by Xavi, almost out of necessity, to step into tackles with his weight on his opposite foot and play out of the back on his opposite foot, you know, and, and just defend backwards just shows you what his ceiling could be as a right back. And every time I watch the Las Palmas game and I'm watching Duane Araujo, it kind of changes the calculation for me. I've been pretty steadfast about Barca probably wanting to go for Cancelo because he can play as a winger, he can play at fullback, and while he is inconsistent, he just does things that other players can't do with the ball at a really high level, and it would not it would behoove Barcelona to have a player who can play with such versatility at so many positions in their team if you can afford it. And while you've been on, and I hear you on Jao Felix, I know, I, I, I hear you about the speciality of Jao Felix, I just, I don't see how there's a way with Barcelona's current financial situation that they should go for Jao Felix. You know, like I agree with you on what he does. I, it just financially, it will never make sense because the money isn't being spent on either a cheaper and similarly productive left winger or a pivot or an actual left back as well to, to, to Bell Ball Bay. But, you know, if Kubarsi is a real deal, we've, I, I said he is, and then you keep Araujo, Kuhn, and Christensen and don't sell any of those three in the offseason. I am all for Kunde, Fort, and Julian Araujo being your right-back options for next season. I think that's more than fine for Barcelona. And there are three different profiles who give you different options, and all three have higher ceilings than what the floor is. I have one more point of Jao Felix here. Jao Felix has seven goals and five assists in 28 games and 1,625 minutes. Our old friend Ansu Fadi has four goals and one assist in 18 games and 667 minutes, so about 1,000 less minutes. Ansu has a goal every 167 minutes. Felix is around 233 minutes. And I know that Jao Felix has seven more goal contributions, but again, it's still 1,000 more minutes. And Ansu's health also, that's always the big thing with him. I get that. But if Barcelona need to spend money on a pivot, again, to basically be a stopgap, an actual stopgap that Orbermeo failed to do until Mark Bernal is ready, I think you take what Ansu can give you next season because you don't have to pay the transfer fee that you have to pay and a similar or greater salary that you'd have to pay for Jao Felix. And if Mendes is really, and I think this is the new thing I'm saying now, if Mendes is really like, hey, buddy, and I do say that merry tongue in cheek, when he says, Laporta, buddy, let's get this deal done, right? Like I helped you with a bunch of my clients. And so help me out, Jao Felix and Cancelo. Let's bring those guys in. I think I'm now moved to the point where if Mendes says it's both or neither, I've now moved in the camp where, I don't think Cancelo with the other right back options is worth Jao Felix and Cancelo. I, I think Barcelona has to say no then to both if that's the, the hard line that Mendes is, is throwing at them. And they say we can make do in other areas and spend our whatever little money that we have. I mean, whether you believe Tebas or not, the one to one is going to be really difficult for Barcelona unless they do part with multiple, multiple players. I mean, De Young's not going anywhere. Lewandowski is likely not going to go. So you're, you are talking about Gabi, Pedri, Araujo, and Barcelona would be insane to do that. So that means you've got to make solutions happen in other ways. And I, I just don't think that Cancelo and Jao Felix are, are reasonable anymore. If Barcelona and Libero, that German company, if they pay them the 80 million or whatever they owe them, and they sell the Barca media for 49% or whatever, and everything that they've promised in the books go through, which at this point, almost nothing has, and those deadlines are in March and April. So if that money doesn't come in, I, I just, it doesn't work. But if, yeah, if, if 100 million euros just popped up in Barcelona's accounts because they made some sponsorships work, sure. Jao Felix, Cancelo, get it done, reinforce the squad. 
I mean, it's difficult. Someone someone will have to leave. I mean, if, if all these reports are to be believed, Barca need to sell. They need to sell big if they want to sign anyone. And they, they want to sign, I don't know, a, a pivot. And, and they want to sign even more players. So I think someone I think big will... You know, I, I do, I, I've been saying this for a while. I do get the mm-hmm. sense that Rafinha, with the way that those reports pop up about him, I do think yeah. he's got man out. And I do think that Barca could get like 60 million of Premier League money for him. They could, but then if Rafinha is sold, which, okay, I, I'm actually, I wouldn't sell him, but at the same time, he is one of those sellable assets that you have. He is marketable. He has suitors. He has the the the, the value as well, so you can sell him quite well, especially considering Barca need money. But then again, if you do sell him, you, you just left with La Minimal, and you need someone else to come in, right? You need someone either from the academy, but that's also not optimal to have two kids on the flank. Or you need to bring someone else in uh, for you know cheaper to 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 save some of that money from Rafinha's sale. So that means that's that's another position that you have to strengthen if you sell Rafinha, if, because you you can't just sell him and do nothing for that right wing, right? So I think that's kind of the issue there. And then the young, I don't know, the young could be that player to be sold. But then again, that's I don't know, I don't think that's happening. I mean, it's not the more. No way. Yeah. There's no way he's gonna say. Oh yeah, of mm. course. Thirty-seven point five million euros. I don't want that. It's fine. <laughs> I don't want to stay in Barcelona. Where I just had a baby, by the yeah. way. And I yeah, does. I just had a baby. I'm going to raise my family in Barcelona. Like it's crazy mm-hmm. to think that. Yeah. The only thing the club could say is, "Hey, De Young, if you love the club, we're going to pay you all your money, but let's do it over the next thirty-five years mm-hmm. <laughs> and extend mm-hmm. your contract that way, because that's the only way that." De Young financially, I think, helps Barcelona. I, I, the other name that obviously I've said here on the show, other than Rafinha, is Koundé. He's Koundé, the, only, yeah. the other one I think is marketable, and you could get a, a hefty mm-hmm. price for him to send him to likely the Premier League. But he would be the other. Again, I'm not pushing. To your point, I would keep Koundé and Rafinha if given the option. And I think that's the other thing, too. If, if it is, I don't know how the money works, but if you're asking, I'll make you answer this instead of me. Jao Felix and Cancelo or Rafinha and Koundé. Which of those two options are you keeping and taking? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. I think last time it was Kunde versus 
Cancelo and Felix? That was the question last time, I think, if I remember correctly, on, on the yeah, show. I and I, and I, I went for Felix and Cancelo, but I think this time I'm going to go for Rafinha and, and Kunde. I think, yeah, because the thing is, with Felix, I agree with you. I mean, I'm probably his biggest fan on the on, on Twitter. I, I probably the only person who's still defending Felix at this point. But the thing is, I, I don't think you're wrong to do that though. Like, I, I just, I not the, I want to lift you up and say like you're very brave. You guys don't see me, yes, but I, I think, but I think to that point, I think I've always agreed with you that Chow Felix is special and those moments, and he maybe inconsistent, but you'd think that if Barcelona as a unit were more mm-hmm. consistent then you'd get more consistency from him too. I think as inconsistent as Barca is, you know, the, the variance of this team, and then yes. you have players that themselves are inconsistent. It's just the, the ebbs and flows and the pendulum swings back and forth mm-hmm. so greatly. Mm-hmm. And if, if there was mm-hmm. an environment that supported him to be more consistent, I think, I agree with you. He's a really special player. Just, again, where I'm at on, on him is just, it's the number. That's what it, it's just, that's what I'm it seeing. Is. I see him as a number, unfortunately, because he's a transfer who's, is wage, you know, and mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid is paying it. So I, I just want to say I do support you in your job. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, you know. No, I mean, I, yeah, I, I get that. And the thing is, so we keep saying with Joao Felix that it's the environment, and and I know that people are like fed up with that because you know it it cannot be in the environment like three or four times in a row, right? It has to be the player because you know it, that's the only common denominator here. It's always the player, right? In every single club, it was the environment. You know, that's what the, Felix's defenders you always say. But I feel like that's kind of true because he, he he's not really played in a, I wouldn't say healthy environment, in an environment that kind of suits him the best, that, that brings the best out of him. He's not had that in his career probably. And that's a, yeah, since Befica. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I mean, Chelsea, Atletico Madrid, that's not really the kind of system, the kind of structure, the kind of team to get the best out of him anyway. So I think it's a fair thing to say. And this Barcelona team as well, I mean, it, it's nowhere near a team that would, that would you know, take a player like Felix and make him the, the world's best. I mean, he's not touching his peaks at this Barca. I keep saying that. So that's why if the money is too big to buy him, I wouldn't buy him. I mean, I feel like he's special. I feel like he's good. But if Barca keep playing like they're playing right now, I mean, that might change with a new coach, but you never know who's going to come. You never know what kind of a game model he's going to have. Uh, but under Xavi and this Barca, Felix is not becoming the player that we need him to be. So if the, if the cost is too high, no, I wouldn't go for him. I, if it's another loan, for example, okay, that can work. If it's a low, very, very low transfer, I, I guess, but that's not happening either. I mean... I, at this stage, I wouldn't. I wouldn't keep him. I wouldn't really. I wouldn't. Cancelo. I mean, he obviously he's also pretty valuable. Well, he does. He's very versatile. He he does things as you said that no one else does. But at the same time, I was the one who kept pushing for someone like Fresneda over Cancelo because I felt like that was the type of player that we needed more than Cancelo at the same time. And and I don't know. So in this particular moment, I would take Rafinha and Kunde probably because Rafinha, you know. He is not flashy. He is not really a difference maker all the times. He is very one-dimensional, and that's always fair. But he gives you value. He gives you threat constantly. When you look at the numbers, Rafinha tops our metrics, even though he's you know one-dimensional. He's not really as smart as Italian, as Laminia Mal, for example. But he gets the job done as well, and he gets you to the final third. He gets he gets you the the, the threat, the uh, the numbers as well. So I feel like there is value in someone like Rafinha more so than someone like Felix because Rafinha for you know as much as he is one dimensional he can kind of do his thing regardless you know and Felix 
maybe he needs a bit more you know adjusting to maybe more catering more more uh more of a fine tunement if you if you will and that's the problem with him well i think to that point we don't really have time to really deep dive with them all i have to bring mm. you on in the next few weeks to do that but i think the rafinha thing too i mean if you're if i'm already losing jeff Alex on the left wing the the idea of having rafinha even if he's now just your, your sub like and you say that rafinha we have to figure out how to get you some left wing reps because Lamini Mall is going to be our, our, our right winger for the future. I think even as soon as next season, I mean, he is right now. He's this, yeah. this season. And I've said, I wish that he could just put him away. He, I mean, I'd love if Xavi could have him play less than 2,200 minutes, but he's already up to 1650 and I just, it's too much, but hopefully Rafini can come back and spell him quite a bit and kind of mm-hmm. take that starting job back, not even out of merit, just out of necessity to keep Lamini Mall protected for the next 10 years, 12 years, uh, how, yeah. oh my gosh, he's so young, 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, because you want to keep Lamina Mall protected. So I would rather keep Rafinha to be, you know, the person to help mm-hmm. rotate Lamina Mall than I would, again, again, what I've seen from Julian Araujo at Las Palmas, he's, I, well, he gets paid like one eighth the amount, like, again, you don't have, you already paid the transfer fee for him. So he makes like one eighth what Cancelo does. And I think he is, they're different profiles, of course, but he gives you, he doesn't give you one eighth of what Cancelo does. You know what I mean? For what you're paying for. I think he gives you 70% of what you get from, from Cancelo. I think he does do about 70% of that job. And so again, with Hector Fort, I, again, am surprised at how quickly he's being integrated in the first team too. He's ahead of schedule. So the fact that you have Hector Fort ahead of schedule and Julian Araujo, who is also exceeded expectations at Las Palmas of every time I watch him then you say, all right, let's go full, you know, let's go ahead with the positive things that we have for, as, as I said, one eighth of the, or one fifth of the total price for it and Araujo, uh, Julian Araujo for Cancelo. All right, last quick three things here. Vitor Roque, red card appeal did not work. The competition committee up, uh, upheld Vitor Roque's red card and he was suspended for Sunday's match against Granada. Barcelona is uh, trying to, uh, again, appeal it to a, a different, the higher court, but it, that stuff takes either 10 days and usually that's why those never happen. It's always thrown out because it winds up not, you know, he has to serve a suspension before the, the appeal would actually be approved and you can't retroactively put him back in a, uh, in a match against Granada. I said at the time, and I repeat it again, I have also been researching a bit of history. So plugging some of the stuff for midweek next week. And there are times in Barcelona's history that corruption and that kind of stuff, there was merit to it and it was real and it was truthful. And I've said this rant before, and I'll say it again. I, I mean, this, these illegal referees are incompetent to the point where I almost have to say, if you yell the word conspiracy at me, I don't know, maybe, but I just, <laughs> I don't believe it. But also like, at this point, they're so incompetent. It's like, how is mm-hmm. this possible? I do mm-hmm. think that this Vita Roque red card or the second yellow, uh, as it says, the second, even if they say it as the second yellow and he gets the red, not a almost immediately within 24 hours appealing this red card and saying those images are not enough to, to appeal the red card. This is to me, the worst decision that's been made. I mean, I have, it, this is the most unjust thing in the Barcelona, you know, complaints or whatever this season. And I think Barcelona fans on social media, it's different than real life. And actually I think Barcelona fans in general, the same way they have just become the boy who cries wolf so much. I know. I, I don't know how to say the mm. word wolf. They, they're the boy who cried wolf so much at a point where, this is the one I wish like Kool-Aid had just shut up <laughs> about mm-hmm. the conspiracy and about like, fighting back against the and VAR and Tebas and corrupt, whatever. Like, I just wish that instead of all those other times when the referees were just bad, like they are around for all the league of teams and all the league of teams yeah. have an argument. 
for all those times, I just was cool with it, just like kind of cooled a little bit because now this Vita Roque thing is just so bad that I wish like this was the moment that Barcelona came and said like, hey, this is so insane. Like how is like, it, <laughs> it was just it's a bad call. It's a bad call. The fact that they, they didn't repeal it is, is awful. It's just, and I wish like Barcelona fans had like saved their energy for this moment because now I'm just, I'm already exhausted. And I feel like Barcelona fans are starting from this argument. Again, it's all the social media, but they're coming from a point now that they've been complaining for so long. They're like, well, you complained about the other stuff and there was nothing to that. So now you're still mm-hmm. complaining. And that's what mm-hmm. it's like now. And I don't know, frustrating to me. <laughs> I mean, it is, absolutely is. And historically, I don't think our appeals have ever really been that effective. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it just feels like we, whenever we do appeal, it never really works anyway. So... But no, this whole refereeing discussion, I just, I, I'm trying not to get sucked into it on social media because I feel like that's all people talk about these days. It's always, oh no, Barca have been robbed. You know, it's, it's a conspiracy. Uh, Real Madrid, you know, will win the league because, you know, someone has already decided they will. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some merit in all of that. Maybe there's the, there is someone up there, you know, fixing games and, and bribing referees, but I just don't want to get into that as much because I feel like, at least from from, from my point of view, I, I want to be talking about things that are you know, more valuable <laughs> than just the refereeing mistakes and, and conspiracy theories and, and all that stuff. So that's why I don't like when people, like I will, I will make a comment on the game and people will be like, oh no, but the referees did this and that. I'm like, I don't care. I mean, I, I'm 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 hurt obviously and I'm frustrated, but I don't really want to discuss that at all. Um and, and I'm trying to get away from all of that. But yes, to your point, it did seem like a bad call, it did seem like a bad decision for the referees. I, I but there's just nothing that we can do at this point. And and I think you're right. We we just we just yeah, we cry so much over those things that at this point, you know, no one will take us seriously anymore, even if if the case is serious and if if, if we do have a real reason to be complaining. I mean, at this point, everyone's like, okay, that's Barca fans. They always do that. So I feel like there is there is some truth in that, what you say, and, and I do agree. But again, I just, I, I don't know what I can say that, that, will, that will, you know, make things better or that make things make sense. So I just try and stay away from it, <laughs> to be honest. Well, you know, as I've, as, as I already plugged, I'll plug it again, that I've done stuff mm-hmm. on the show in, in, the, in years past, but I, I'm working on a, a big piece with, with, with somebody for next week. Again, I actually have help on this one. That's how big this is about history. And I do, we do deep dive and a portion of this history lesson basically is about when there was truth to that, when there was truth to that corruption. And I would say if there was real truth to this corruption between Florentino Perez and, and whatever, it would, uh, Laporta and, and Perez would not be doing the Super League together. Like if there was actual corruption there, Laporta would not be, in bed on the Super League with Florentino Perez, as desperate as Barca is. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Speaking of decisions that Laporta has to make, I, I know we're so late in this, and it's kind of unfair because I'm like, I, I'm kind of almost jamming a potential, <laughs> potential future manager here in the 57th minute here, or whatever we are. So, Hansi Flick, there have been r- rumors this week about that he might be the guy, and I think there is a ton of fire behind this smoke, and the reason why we're only talking about Hansi Flick here, here for a moment, because he is available, and that is the first and last reason why I think that there's a lot of <laughs> so the club they would also want to bring a him or a manager in as early as possible come the end of the season and someone who is currently not tied to a club and someone who you don't have to pay their release from their club that is Barca's guy at the moment as long as he takes mm-hmm. also a minor pay cut to come and wants to have a job and it would be helpful if you had a guy who's kind of been around before and 
well, especially a German manager who's been in Germany, who didn't necessarily have the kind of Premier League manager wages that some other managers would want to match their La Liga salary. So Hansi Flick, just in all of those ways that have nothing to do with his tactics, have nothing to do with his time at Bayern Munich or the German national team or any of that stuff. That's why he makes the most sense to me. And I think nine times out of 10, that's usually how it works with managers. Mm -hmm. I would agree. I think that looking realistically, which of the elite coaches would be willing to, you know, abandon ship and come to Barca right now. I think the only choices that we have of managers that are kind of not in the elite tier, but you know, they, they're kind of down there. And if they, they call up by Barca, they go and they kind of gain on reputation, gain, gain something from that appointment other than, you know, money and whatever it is, because who would be that crazy to go to Barca now anyway, because, you know, at this stage, you don't have the money to really build something. You don't really have, the squad is quite good, but it's mostly youngsters and you need someone who can, I feel like the next appointment should be someone who can really, really work with those young players, someone who can take a good group of people and make them into a great group of people, right? That's the thing. Someone, someone who can take the, the, the wood and the stone and make it into, into steel and diamonds, right? So that's the kind of manager they, they need. And someone who can kind of instill the fundamentals into this team. So, you know, maybe work on the defensive aspects and the, on compactness on, 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 on the principles of play and stuff like that. So I feel like the next couple of years, our expectations should still be kind of on the lower side because of all of that, because we'll, ha we'll, we'll need a couple of years to just get the basics, right. And, and, and develop these players. But, you know, we, we do have a young core that's excellent. That's quite good. That can be, you know, the uh, world-class in a couple of years. And I feel like if we get the appointment, right. So change the profile, not the name. That's what I keep saying. And that's for players, but also for coaches, because, you know, if, you need the right man for the job. Unfortunately, the perfect man doesn't exist at the moment because there's none available. And even if, if, if there was, would Barca be able to get them? And that's the question because we don't have the money to offer them anyway. Uh, so at this moment, you have to chase someone who fits the profile, even though the name might not be, you know, up there in the, in, in the elite ranks. So I feel like Hansi Flick kind of, he is not in that elite echelon at the moment. So, he's realistic in that sense. Now, tactically, I'm I'm not sure. I don't want to talk too much because I, I've, I'm yet to look into it more deeply and I will do so for next week, I think. We're, I think we have some things flat on him. But I've seen people complain and, and say that he's not really the guy when it comes to tactics. So, um, um, But I'll, I'll, I, I won't really comment that much as of right now because I need to look into it a bit more. Well, to that point, though, about the romanticism of the Barca job. I do still think that a manager like Desarbi and uh, to your mm -hmm. point about raising his profile, I think if Desarbi was in this position that Hansi Flick is in, I think that's a guy who would jump at the Barca job because I think there is still so much, you know, merit. And again, if you're the guy that succeeds at Barcelona and if you're a top manager that trusts and backs themselves, you think you're going to be the guy to fix the problems. And I think what keeps a guy like Desarbi or any of the other managers that currently have jobs, even Michel for Girona, they would basically have to pay. Like, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a place where logic no longer exists on the off-field stuff. Desarbi would basically have to pay to be the manager of Barcelona. And I think there is, again, romanticism. And there is the Barcelona job is not this thing that I think top managers are afraid of. I think that they would still take on that challenge and believe that they are going to be the guy. And again, like if you succeed at Barcelona, you're a legend, right? Like, I mean, it just happens. Like you just become a legend. If you really succeed at Barcelona, it's just, you can, and you can live for the rest of your life off of that kind of legacy. 
I succeed in Barcelona. Honestly, it's the same thing with Real Madrid and these other major, major clubs. You just you you go and you live off off that success. So I think the problem is that again, these managers financially, again, for their families, for their agents, for all the people in their financial peripheral, like they're not going to pay to go to Barcelona. I think they're going to bide their time and wait for that Barcelona job fits where they are in their managerial career. And so, so not saying no at the moment, but saying that, yeah, I mean, it's not right for me at the time. Okay. Lastly here, I promise last thing, while we talked about the youngsters in the first team, the U19s dropped out of the UEFA youth league, losing six, five on penalties to Mainz after a two, two game. Noah Darvich and Danny Rodriguez scored the goals. And those are two players that I'll be taking a bit more time to talk about in the coming weeks, by the way. Uh, so I have not forgotten about those two, but I'm not that bent out of shape by this exit. Uh, I usually say this is the case. If Kubarsi, Fort, Mark Yu, and Lamini Mall, who are all very eligible, not a little eligible, like two or three years still eligible for that competition, if they had played in that competition, I think Barcelona absolutely crushes Mainz in that match and wins that match 5-2. And we're not talking about anything. So uh, they also, by the way, even the players that played in that game, the average of Barca's 11 in age was an entire year younger than Mainz's. So I'm not worried that they fell out of the competition. I told you the next, I, I did. I told you, and Avery mentioned them in the show. I told you who the next, next talents are. And those players, especially in midfield, are like 15, 16 years old. So to me, it was a better opportunity for Darvish to keep getting himself comfortable. That's something he'd been done, you know, he's done better this last month in the first half of the season, but you know, now it's just going back to Barca athletic, trying to, you know, still get comfortable, figure himself out. And then Danny Rodriguez, what is his ceiling? Again, those are things and questions that I want to be answering with some others in the next coming weeks. But yeah, I, I'm not bad on the team. Congrats to Mainz. I mean, if anything, they, they miss out. What was this? The quarterfinal, I think it was. So I think they miss out on three more total matches or whatever it was. So even if it's around a 16, they missed out on four total matches. I, it's not, I'm not bad on the about it. Yeah, I mean, not much else to add here, I don't think. I, 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 To be honest with you, I've not been following them as much as I would want to, but, you know, um, I, I'm excited to see how Noah Darwich kind of continues to, 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 to do because, you know, there's been a lot of hype around his transfer, but but when I've seen footage of him, I'm, I've not been as impressed as I thought I would be at first. I feel like he has still has a lot to work on to be able to be, become this talent that will eventually step into the first team if, if he steps into the first team um so from the rumors you know when he first joined i, I thought i would be you know uh, a, a much more complete player a much more developed player at that stage already but but you know that's maybe because you know when you see players like kobarsi and players like lamia ma you were like okay they're 16 17 but they're already at such a high level that it's just kind of incredible to see um and kind of brings you back to reality because you, you cannot expect every single 16 year old to be that good to be that ready for the first team um and we truly have been blessed with these talents and i feel like that's where this young core is so exciting because you know they are so so young when you think about it. I mean, it just it's it's mind-boggling to think that Yamal is 16 years old and we're here making such big conclusions, such big predictions on 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 kids. That's that's the that's the state of this this whole discussion. I mean, it's 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 just incredible to me because we don't even know how he'll develop, you know, physically and mentally. And here we are predicting his profile, you know, for the years to come. So it's, it's very, very difficult. And, and, and um, kudos, you know, credit to them because they, they are truly, truly immense to be able to play for Barcelona's first team at such a young age. Uh, and that's, if there's one thing to be excited about, to be optimistic about is that, I think I keep saying that that's the thing that will keep us going. And, and, and I truly believe that. So, um, 
Yeah. Well, yeah, and I also say about the Bergball stuff, like for those who got like bent out of shape by Bergball, uh, Bergball, it's like Barcelona won the arms race for Darvich. I mean, he was one of the best players mm-hmm. at the 17 World Cup with Germany. But, you know, we've seen that that adaptation is difficult. So like the idea mm-hmm. that even if Bergball works at Tottenham, it might not have worked for him at Barcelona. Yeah. You know, and we talked about Frankie de Jong, how it doesn't really truly look like he fits in the way that Barcelona plays. And if the reports are to be leaving, again, the little tape that I watch at Bergball, it looks like he plays in a very similar position as Frankie de Jong. That's why the comparisons were started. And it's like, well, okay, so Frankie de Jong, it took him five years to adapt to Barcelona's style, if he's, even if you call what he's done adapting. Um, and so to expect a 17-year-old Bergball to do that is like, it's, it's not a miss to me. Even if he succeeds, like, it's not, it's not crazy to me. I mean, and even on the right wing, like maybe Danny Rodriguez, I mean, he was a big prospect when he signed, but if, if it's not meant to be for him, because I think both he and Noah Darvish at this point, uh, Danny Rodriguez being 19 and Darvish being, or is he 18 or 19, whatever, one of the two, and then Darvish being just turned 17, they both need the ball to feet to do most of their work, and that's not going to work at the top levels. So to your point about like the progressions that they make is that Darvish is very special on the ball, but his total refined game he's still figuring a lot of those things out because again, like he just was the most talented player for a long time. And so now that he is not give him two years even to figure that stuff out. And again, don't get better state about the ball Berg balls. Cause even Daniel Rodriguez playing at right wing, like he's already behind the medium mall. You know, he might not ever have an opportunity in the first team and Barcelona, by the way, are a year away from signing. They've already had signed that peak contract with Ibrahim Diara, the captain of the, uh, the Mali U 17 team from the, from the last world cup. U17 World Cup. So like Diara is supposed to be the other future right winger that Barcelona are bringing in as a high level prospect teenager. They, they hope worked out. So, you know, it, it is, it is still a reminder that it's a gamble. And to your point about not watching the young players, I kind of learned my lesson the last few years because I would try my best to watch them as I can. But now with Kubarsi and Lamal, I mean, Lamini Mall and Hector Fort, it's like, I feel like I have to now. Cause it's like, I need to be an expert on Mark Bernal because the kid might be a preseason, right? It's just like, so that's where we're at with it. And so I think it's always that balance where Darvish was a big prospect during the sign. So I am trying to be like, Hey, I think that could might, that kid might be in the first team, but now seeing him struggle, you adapt your expectations and say, okay, maybe he might not make it in the first team and that's okay. And that's okay. And then they get knocked out of the U19s, UEFA league. I don't care. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> anyone's still here. We've, we, we've been broken. Barcelona has broken us down with the topics that we talked about, but I'm glad we got the positive, the negatives. And as always, Dom McGuire, you were uh, terrific. And I will have in the description down below your piece about Christensen. So we didn't really throw too many stats there. We didn't have, I don't have the imagery, just him and I talking. I hope you enjoyed our faces. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, but I will have his article down in the show notes below. And I said, keep a lookout for the stuff that again, this midweek does allow me to kind of do some other things, you know, that I usually even do in the off season. So Check all that stuff out on Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, all that good stuff. So, Domagoy, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been a while, actually, and I do enjoy our chats. Um, so, yeah, glad to be here, as ever. Yeah, and I appreciate everyone listening. This is the longest time. Not the longest show, ever. <laughs> this is the longest show. But, yeah, midweek separate a lot to do. So, glad we got to it. Thanks so much for doing the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.